And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Sean Rittenauer. He's professor of economics, Grove City College. Dr. Rittenauer, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Well, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be on the program. There's always um, a movement afoot, it seems, to try to influence our economic system to go in one direction or another direction. And we as Christians, of course, we have a a unique perspective, I believe, um, which flows right out of the Scriptures. Um, But some reading the Scriptures, particularly the words of Jesus, um, where he talks about the hungry, the poor, sick prisoners, care for them, loving our neighbor as ourselves will morph that instruction into something that is almost like a Christian socialism, I suppose. And uh, it may give support to the whole socialist tendency that seems to be on the rise today. Um, So let's talk about socialism and uh, the dream of socialism, as you put it in a note to me, versus the reality and that sort of thing. So could you get us started on this today? Oh, sure. Um, Yeah, what I was thinking about is, you're right, it does seem to be that the uh, popularity of uh, socialism is on the rise, and I think partly that's because a lot of people don't really understand the nature of what they're they're wanting. So it's very important that before we start to embrace something with open arms, we're very clear about what we're embracing. And socialism, in some sense, there's many varieties of socialism, but the core is uh, people today that they find it attractive because they're unhappy with uh, primarily the state of their lives, state of their the economy, the the sense that um, as you hear often this this idea that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, and the rich are getting richer because they the, the rules are stacked in their favor, and the only way to to unstack the rules in their favor is to move towards socialism, to move towards a situation where the government has uh, control of resources. And um, in terms of an economic system, uh, or an attempted economic system, the defining characteristic of socialism is when the the government or the state often sort of um, fictionally claim the people, uh, but it's always acting through the, the government, through the state. The state has control of all resources, of all means of production, all land, labor, and capital goods. And so it's a central planning board or some type of uh, economic czar, if you will, that determines or tries to determine what gets produced, how it gets produced, where it gets produced, how the product gets distributed, and that kind of thing. And every time, every time in history that 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 type of program has been attempted for a modern, complex economy, it has been a, a disaster. It's been a failure. It's been um, a failure both economically, at least economic chaos, and it then also is a failure even uh, democratically, uh, which is uh, because the only way to keep uh, uh, an economy controlled is through uh, government force, through government coercion, through rules, and then, of course, if you break the rules, uh, you get fined, you get uh, sent to jail, or you get uh, shot escaping from jail. And so that's, that's every time they've tried it, socialism, has been a disaster. And yet, uh, the dream is 
that, well, if we have a situation where the government can uh, provide economic equality so that everybody gets, uh, you know, close to the same, uh, same size piece of the pie, then, then we'll be able to, to, to sort of to live, to live as, as brothers. And um, sure, people in the past have got it wrong, but, but there's always the hope that this time we're going to get it right. This time somehow we're going to make it work. And uh, we just <laughs> we haven't found it yet, and I think that's because there's significant, just insurmountable difficulties for a system like that actually working. Yeah, um, it seems to be uh, part of our psyche where we um, we covet. Uh, we're covetous people, and we want what somebody else has. Um, the Christian approach is to see what another person has been blessed with by God. And rejoice in that and say, well, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. I'm glad that God has prospered you in this way, and he's given you uh, whatever you have, you know, that, that is desirable, and, uh, but not covet it. Um, the uh, common objection by socialists uh, against capitalism, let's say, is, um, well, that, that's greed-based, you know, and, and at, at the first, you know, look at it, you almost get the feeling like on the surface the socialists are able to claim the higher moral ground by saying, oh, you capitalists, you're all greedy. Have you ever sensed that coming from them? Oh, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people um, take the idea, even, even a lot of supporters of, of capitalism, some will support it because, well, you know, people in general are greedy and there's only one system that sort of works uh, by feeding that greed, and that's capitalism. Uh, that socialism is doomed because people are greedy and that kind of thing, and capitalism rewards greed. And uh, the people that, you know, the Christians uh, that you know, are sensitive to that and rightly recognize that greed is, is a sin and it's prone to idolatry, um, then uh, they're going to say, well, we can't have capitalism. Uh, other people that, you know, there was, uh, I believe the famous uh, Oliver Stone movie Wall Street had the main character, uh, Gecko, say, you know, in that famous speech saying, greed is good, greed works, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that that's a fundamentally flawed way of looking at what we're talking about. Uh, capitalism as an economic system is simply a free market system in which entrepreneurs are able to calculate the value of their assets in monetary terms because all goods are traded for money and they're traded freely so that the market prices of the goods in the market truly reflect or are reflections of people's subjective preferences. And so then when an entrepreneur works and is successful and earns a profit, he earns a profit only for and precisely for serving other people, for giving them what they want, how they want it, when they want it, at the quality that they want, at the price that they're, that they're willing to pay. And so when you recognize that capitalism is really just a, another name for the free market, then that uh, allows us to dispense with this idea that it must be driven by greed. Now, the people can do, do all kinds of things in a free society for all sorts of motives. 
And uh, yes, some some successful capitalists are what we could call the the, the greedy capitalist pig. Uh, they are out only for themselves, and they want as much money just for themselves. But again, the beauty of the free market is the only way even those people can satisfy their greed is to serve other people. But then there's a whole host of other entrepreneurs that I know personally uh, that are in the, the function of the market system primarily to provide for their families, mm-hmm. to provide for their friends, to uh, be able to donate to uh, you know their churches, the Christian schools, and other and other uh, charities that they find important. And so the idea that capitalism is based on greed is is just simply not true. Capitalism is based on serving other people and social cooperation more than anything else. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, Now, we start off by referring to some of the principles that the Lord was telling us about the hungry and taking care of the poor and the sick and the prisoners. And I I just quickly wanted to add that as I read this, I feel a, a personal responsibility laid upon me by our Lord to do these things. Um, I do not think that um, this needs to necessarily flow into policy at the state level. Certainly there should be some um, kindness (laughs) of the state, but um, in terms of redistribution of wealth, I see this as a personal call by our Lord to help others. Uh, How do you see it? Oh, I think that's exactly right. I mean, none of this is to be t- in, in a free society that does not imply that, and this is another false picture, that uh, in a free society people only care about themselves and they live in their atomistic little world and it's just rank, pure, ethical individualism. And, of course, that's not true either. Uh, we are called as Christians to love our neighbor as ourself, and that uh, includes loving the poor that we see among us and loving our neighbor. And when people are in uh, dire straits, we're called to minister to them. And that includes uh, material help as well as, uh, as, you know, just wishing them well, as uh, the book of James warns us against. And so, um, so the, but the question is, how, how do we do that? How, how are we called to do that? And I think it's pretty clear, even from, uh, say, the cases that are often pointed to by Christians, uh, as, as say, a proof text, if you will, for Christian socialism. Look at Acts chapter 5, when uh, Ananias and Sapphira ended up getting struck down by the Lord for keeping some proceeds from uh, the sale of property from the church. Uh, people say, aha, see, the problem was that they were, they were greedy and they, they kept their own property, and so God is, is warning us against the evils of private property and, and in fact, is calling us to a Christian socialism. Well, that's not exactly, that's not what the, the, the text says at all. I mean, uh, Peter, when he tells, he tells uh, Ananias, he explicitly says, look, the property was yours to do with as you, as you wanted, and then when you sold the property, the proceeds were yours to do with what you wanted. And the, he said the problem is you, you've lied. Right. So you, it's not that you kept money back, if you will. It's not that you maintained private property. It's that you lied to the Holy Spirit by lying to the Church. And so... Um, any type, it's very clear that the even the the understanding of property that the church in Jerusalem had at that time is documented in Acts chapter two through five. It's this voluntary sharing of goods out of out of a deep necessity that was there at the time. Um, it's not something that they were under compulsion to do, that they were forced to do. It was not something that was run by the government. 
uh, by the state. It was it was voluntary sharing, which is something that that we're called to do as Christians. Yeah, and uh, modern socialists, uh, if they could only see what really happens in Christian circles, uh, they may change their opinion a little bit. I, I'm thinking of an example. I mean, a multitude of examples in our own church, where let's say a family has um, a child, uh, a young child born premature. Uh, he's in the hospital, and the meals start flowing into this family from other loving Christian families. And it just, it's not imposed. It just naturally happens. It's hard to believe. But, but I saw this own case with, with our own grandchild. And, and the church, um, it was just very organic and natural, and the support was there. And it flowed to this, um, to my son and daughter-in-law, and it's happened so many times since and before um, this is extremely voluntary, and it's just a beautiful thing when it happens. Oh, yeah. I think that a lot goes on, shall we say, behind the scenes that people don't recognize. And, and because it's not, because, because we don't uh, let the right hand know what the left hand is doing, right. uh, it doesn't get into the news. And then, um, you know, so, so people just sort of assume that, that it's not happening. Um, now, of course, that doesn't mean that it, it happens perfectly in every church and, and from every Christian, um, and th- that's not the point here at all either. But the point is simply that living, just living, in some sense, the normal Christian life, there is a lot of love for neighbor that goes on in this way that, um, that, that I, I think people don't recognize. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've seen the case where um, somebody's in need and others have... Um, really good used clothing, and they, they give it to this uh, family in need, or sometimes take a family in and put them up for a while. It's just an amazing thing. And if that was um, orchestrated from the top down, all kinds of inefficiencies would be added into that so-called system. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it, that's, that's another thing. That's, it, it's kind of interesting. Modern society tends to be, we tend to be prone to want to, if, if you, even if we see something we like, we want to uh, programize it, if that's even a right. word. We want to take, make it a program, and then we will have, we'll set up bureaucracy to organize it, and then the next thing you know, you have this structure in place that is very inefficient in meeting the actual needs of the people because it becomes, it becomes inflexible, it becomes... You know, people that could be helped are sort of hamstrung. Their 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 hands get tied because of uh, imposed regulations and a whole host of other things. So it just, at, I mean, even when even when uh, people's uh, motives are in the right place, mm-hmm. uh, it becomes very difficult to to actually satisfy their desires. Yeah, it's like people want this um, big safety net, like like nothing can go wrong. Okay, I'm all set. I've got. I've got every insurance policy in the world. And then they realize, oops, I've just hemmed myself in so that now I'm a slave. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, right. Let, let's talk about the applicability of, of God's Word um, for just a moment uh, to our world today. Um, I go back quite often to the Ten Commandments, and I think, okay, this is pretty simple stuff. Uh, it's wrong to steal, you know, the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. Uh, can you talk about that, just really brief, in terms of the two economic systems that we're talking about today? Uh, sure. Uh, that commandment, 
uh, is a commandment that uh, the theologian Charles Hodge says is, gives us the divine right to private property. That um, it's in that commandment, thou shalt not steal, means we are not able to just accumulate property any old way we want. We're not allowed to take it from other people, which implies that if you have property that you have lawfully come into ownership of, you've produced a product and the product's yours, or you have homesteaded some land that has previously been unowned, or you've obtained it through exchange without fraud, then that's your property, and nobody can simply just take it away, including the state. And uh, because of that, we have private property. And then uh, I would encourage anybody who's interested to look at Hodge's systematic theology and his um, commentary on, on that commandment, because he talks about it, he even explicitly talks about how that's contrary to... Um, to socialism, to forced common ownership of property, and even talks about some of the communist movements of his day. And he's very sound on this. And so uh, the idea that you know, socialism is, is, is ethical is frankly contrary to important passages of Scripture. That, and, and so um, we, we don't want to be led astray. I mean, the Scripture is pretty clear that, that um, you know, the private property that prohibits stealing, prohibits fraud, it prohibits moving property boundaries. All the, the Christian ethic of property, I think, very clearly implies a system of uh, you know, that, that our system of private property rights uh, is the ethical, moral Christian ethic. Um, now, of course, that doesn't imply that everything that a person does with their private property is necessarily approved by God. People are still called to use their property for His glory, and so. You know, they, we can't say, well, you know, this is, this is my bed, so I'm going to use it to fornicate. No, that's not what God allows morally. But it's simply to say that there's, there's nothing in Scripture that implies uh, that uh, private property is wrong or evil. In fact, it's just the exact opposite that God calls for private property. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's very well put. Another commandment that stands out is that of not being covetous. Can you comment on that a little bit? Oh, sure. I think that in many respects, covetousness is sort of the root, in many ways, the root of a lot of calls for government interventionism and socialism in our, in our own democratic state, because people, people get votes by pandering to particular interests. And so you can make it appealing. You get, get people uh, upset. Some group, get, they get them upset that, well, somebody has something that you don't have, and you deserve it, and so vote for me, and we're gonna, I'm going to fight for you, and I'm going to ensure that everybody gets a, gets, gets a fair shake, everybody gets, gets a, you know, a chicken in every pot, everybody gets their own piece of the pie, and how are you going to do that? Well, we're going to take from the people that have the chicken and have the pie, and we're going to give some to you. And so there's a definite appeal to this, to this covetousness. Now, I will also say, some people have this I would say, in some sense, misguided idea of, of economic justice, that economic justice somehow calls for economic equality, um, which is also not something we find in Scripture. And uh, then, you know, in some sense, in other words, they may be uh, just, just misguided, but some of them know exactly what they're doing, and they, and they know that by fueling covetousness and discontent, uh, then that helps, uh, helps their political possibilities. Yeah. As you were talking here, I was just looking up really quick. Uh, there's this old document, um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it has the 
larger catechism, which, which talks about the different commandments and uh, the duties required in the Tenth Commandment. It says, is a, a full contentment with our own condition and such a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor as that all our inward motions and affections touching him tend unto and further all that good which is his. Now that is really love for neighbor being fleshed out. Oh, oh, for sure. Um, that, 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 that document is so rich. Um, yeah. And the, that, that um, you know, the duties required and things that are forbidden relating to the commandment against covetousness and then the commandment against theft mm. are just, there's so much there. And, yeah, I mean, it's very clear that what God calls us to is not to, not to pant after the, yeah. uh, the goods of others, but to rejoice and to help other people maintain what they have, not to take it from them, but help them maintain <laughs> what, they, what, they, what they have legitimately. What a contrast. Yeah, that, that gets to the question of, of you know, what's legitimate. Um, a lot of socialists would claim it's not legitimate for people to, to, be, to get, you know, become super wealthy through the capitalist system. But the fact is, as I said before, people that get wealthy in a free society do so by productive work, by producing what other people want, and then through exchange. And as long as there's no fraud and, and there's exchange, well, then the people are, are, are you know, benefiting from the fruit of their labor, which is why it's important that we maintain a free society. Now, to the extent that we don't have a free society, that we have an interventionist society that is full of cronyism, which is kind of what we have now, then, of course, that's problematic in a number of ways because it, it makes us all relatively impoverished except for the few that, that, that get the benefits of the government regulations. But it also produces this atmosphere where it can, it can make the socialists look like they have the high ground. Yes, you know, and so, you know, a lot of the, you know, there's a reason why, you know, you saw the rise of Bernie Sanders on the left and the rise of Donald Trump on the right. Mm -hmm. And that's because people, and I would say, are right, were rightly disgusted with the status quo. Yeah. The question is, what's the best response? And the best response is, is a free society. Um, what we don't want to have happen is what ha happened has happened in Venezuela, which I think it should be the, is the is a contemporary poster child of what happens in a, in a socialist in a socialist state. Oh yes, where the, the you know Venezuela had a relatively prosperous uh, fifty years uh, in the first half of the twentieth century. Um, it was prosperous economically. Was not it was not the most democratic nation in the world. They was basically. A, a, one form of military dictatorship or another, but it was a relatively free society, and they were relatively prosperous. But then, in the 1950s, there was a move towards more democracy, but unfortunately, more political freedom, but less economic freedom. And there was government increased government controls, tripling of the tax rates, state uh, nationalization of industries, et cetera, et cetera, and that caused some economic distress. And uh, so people looked, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We need a new program. And they mistakenly opted for Hugo Chavez and his socialism. Mm. And then when he died, his uh, replacement, Maduro, continued just to expand his socialism. And this is like serious, serious hardcore socialism, uh, heavily militarism, uh, exchange, uh, complete control of foreign exchange uh, with other currencies, um, increased nationalization of businesses, 
him taking property from their owners and giving it to the state. Um, the justice system became completely politicized. And when he died, his, I said Maduro just continued to, to press that. When Chavez died, Maduro continued just to expand that. And now, of course, is, the country's in disaster. It uh, ranks last on the Index of Economic Freedom. It's near the bottom of, of people being able to engage in free enterprise. It ranks as the most corrupt country in the world at present, and they have massive shortages, massive price inflation, and people are starving there mm. uh, because socialism doesn't deliver the goods. Now, uh, I just noticed the clock. We're out of time, but uh, if someone would like to read more, you've written a book. Can you share what that book is with our listeners? Sure, thank you. Uh, the book is called Foundations of Economics, A Christian View, and it is an attempt to uh, just lay out uh, the basic principles of economic law, uh, but from a, a Christian perspective, as the subtitle implies. So I build economic law within uh, a Christian understanding of the nature of man and the nature of the created order, and show how the economic laws really are laws built into creation. And therefore, if we want a uh, free and prosperous uh, society, we have to uh, organize. We have to have institutions that are that that, that are uh, in agreement with economic law, not that are trying to uh, kick against uh, the economic law. Oh, that's beautiful. Our guest today has been Dr. Sean Rittenauer, and we've been talking about the subject socialism, dream, and reality. Uh, Dr. Rittenauer is professor of economics, Grove City College, and uh, Dr. Rittenauer, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine on you. Thank you.